and welcome back to the One Link Podcast. Always good to be here with you. I'm joined by James again. How's it going, James? I am good. I'm good. How about yourself? Doing good. Yeah, doing good. It's finally getting warm here. It's springtime. I know. So I'm enjoying I, it. I know. In my part of the world, I'm, I'm saying like we've only had like six days of winter so far, but they've all been brutal. You know? But <laughs> yeah, right. It's been pretty nice, the rest of them. Made me think that living in Florida... It's not a bad thing. Or maybe I should say, maybe it's like, oh, is the Mediterranean is pretty, pretty warm and comfortable all year, right? There you go. Well, the Lord will call you to work with Muslims in the Mediterranean context. You can enjoy that nice weather. That's right. That's right. That's what I was thinking as opposed to going to Florida. Where, where should we, where should we inspire people to pray? Oh God, send me to... <laughs> Um, well, it's, so we're going to, we're continuing our series on working with Muslims. Um, I'm really excited about today's topic. We're going to talk about different approaches, um, to working with, with Muslims. Um, when you think about different approaches, Brad, like, what are you, what are you thinking about? What's coming to your mind? Well, as I always do with you, James, I'm going to back up a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) I never, I never want to answer you directly. So Uh here I am, I'm back, backing up, uh, and maybe this is just uh, dealing with my own insecurity on this topic. I am by no means an expert on reaching Muslims. Uh, I don't know that there really is such a thing. If anybody is out there, you know, kind of portraying themselves as that, I think there may be an expert on one aspect or on one people group or something like that, but there's such diversity and there are some things that there are really wonderful, godly people that would do it very differently than I would. Mm-hmm. And I'm not one to say, I think there are some, there, there's sort of a, a spectrum that I think I feel would feel comfortable with. And then there's maybe people that would go outside of that, that I would say, uh, I don't know that that's a good approach. That's probably not a best practice, but so I'll just say it that way. But um, there's maybe two uh, dials that, you know, or two pendulums that people are kind of working with here. The one, it would be uh, the contextualization issue that we've already talked about. So there's approaches that, um, would be, you know, there's certainly, I, I have seen people working among Muslims and they're really doing things in a, in a very American way. And the people that come to faith from them tend to kind of leave behind their culture and step into this new, slightly more Western culture. There's some that are kind of trying to do it in a little more neutral way, though I think that's hard to navigate because sometimes you got to pick one thing or the other. It's hard to, it's hard to always be neutral. And then certainly you swing over into uh, much more trying to embrace areas of the of their existing culture, way they're doing things that are okay biblically. So there's that one. I, I think there's also a pendulum or a spectrum of um, much more bridge building style versus a little more uh, confrontational or uh, I don't want to say aggressive because then that automatically makes it sound negative, but a little bit more. Uh, directly speaking to the falsehood of Islamic claims, where, uh, you know, to, to maybe beginning with that a little bit earlier versus someone building bridges. Uh, and there, there's certainly pros and cons of each one. And if, and if you're kind of gravitating towards one or the other, I think you need to be aware of the pitfalls you can get into. Mm-hmm. And what, uh, what mean, are those with each of those? Well, I think I'll start with the bridge building because I, you know, bridge building sounds nicer, and so it's something. And and, and, and in honesty, I, that's that's more the style that I have gone in, have used in reaching Muslims. Um, 
you know, the pitfall there is that you're always building bridges and never getting people across them, you know, <laughs> you, you, that you're just, everything is you're being nice and well, your, your stuff is good too. My stuff is good too. Let's be friends. And you never, there has to be some risk relationally anytime you, you know that you're bringing the gospel into it. And so still being willing to, as you're building those bridges, take some risk, help, you know, challenge people's thinking, help them see some, uh, that this is, you're calling them something different. This isn't just your stuff's good too. My stuff's good too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think the more, I'm trying to think of a better word besides something that's a little more positive than confrontational, but, um, direct, d- direct, let's call it direct. That's not too bad. Um, you know, just to come in and say, Hey, well, uh, you know, the Quran is, uh, is false. Uh, Muhammad, here's some things that are, I I've seen and heard about Muhammad that are bad. You know, you're, you're playing into their existing stereotypes a bit of that, you know, Americans were, are very aggressive and that we, we think we're better. We think we know it all. We want to, we desire to dominate and things like that. So I think that's the big downfall. Now, certainly the Lord can use, I've seen the Lord use people who are very direct. I mean, even in America, when people that come mm-hmm. in and you mm-hmm. need to repent of your sins, buddy, you know, a little more fire and brimstone. The Lord can use that. that I've never gravitated towards that style. <laughs> so uh, I think there's some great value in building bridges. So that, that that's my own bias towards these things. But again, you have to be careful about some of the pitfalls of that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can uh, share some of the how, how I did that sort of bridge building. If that'd be helpful to yeah. you direct me here. <laughs> Yeah, tell me tell me about that, or do you have a story that would illustrate the uh, bridge building with your people? Mm-hmm. Well, I think trust is such a big part of cross cultural ministry, so you have to build that trust. And mm-hmm. when people see that you care about them, you care about their family, uh, you get a voice into their life. So I think that some of it was just that relationship building. Mm-hmm. Now. I think the mistake we can make is that we we think that has to happen first before spiritual conversations happen. And in my experience with Muslims, you know, I was trying to do those at the same time. You're building that mm-hmm. trust and you're talking about these things because mm-hmm. some of what we're we're basing that on is here in America talking about these things is very awkward. You know, if you just walk up to some random person on the street and say, "Can I talk to you about religion and Jesus?" you know, they, they may be a little uncomfortable or maybe uncomfortable for you to do that. Uh, my experience was that people were much less awkward about these things. They'd talk about it. Now they may not agree with me, but they would, they would talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they were also less uh, politically correct or um, relativistic, even on these things. It wasn't like, a, I mean, sometimes people would just be like, well, your stuff's good. My stuff's good. But there's a lot of people like, yeah, no, that's wrong. No, this is what you should believe instead. So mm-hmm. <laughs> even though, you know, that's, it was troubling at times, but it was also a little bit refreshing to like, okay, mm-hmm. we're dealing with some absolute truth here. That's good. Uh-huh. You know, that's, that's something to build on. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I think I would often, again, try to build some of that common ground, mm-hmm. uh, try to deal with some of their misconceptions. Cause it's kind of like, you got to, if you're going to sow some seeds, you, you have to remove some boulders out of the field a little bit first. So uh mm-hmm. So I would often try to show that I was someone who was God fearing and then talk about. Now you've said that you've said that a couple of times in this podcast, like show that I was God fearing. How would you do that? 
uh, that I'm a person of prayer, that I'm a person who reads scriptures, um, that I'm a person who uh, takes morality seriously, mm-hmm. things like that, that, you know, just as generally trying to honor God, um, mm-hmm. cares about his family, you know, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, you know, I wouldn't walk into a conversation and be like, hey, I want you to know I honor God and how yeah. I live, but uh-huh. you're trying to display that. Um, Mm-hmm. when you have meals praying to get, you know, praying, I think is something that when people come into your house, it was a common uh, for certainly people who were more serious about their faith in, in the culture I was in. When someone would come, they would all sit down and then you would pray. That was so mm-hmm. I think that's something that we could do as well. That certainly is biblically allowable, you know, to pray when a visitor comes that kind of indicated that, okay, these are people that care about faith and uh, now you still have a lot a lot more work to do beyond that that's not the whole thing but uh it's a yeah. beginning point because mm-hmm. it's it's kind of true in america too that what we want to be like we want to be known as god-fearing people like even among those that are adversarial to it or you know as paul said live such good lives among the pagans that though they want to accuse you mm-hmm. they don't have anything to say what about as, as you're approaching working with Muslims, um, there's all these different elements you have to have to deal with. Uh, one of them you had mentioned to me earlier was like the view on scripture. How does that play out? Yeah, so the uh, common views among Muslims are that the uh, our scriptures in the New Testament, Old Testament uh, mm-hmm. have been changed. Um, and there are some different stories that you'll hear, but the, the common one I would hear is that there was uh, a group of Jews who, you know, somehow somehow got a hold of them and changed them. And so now they're not trustworthy anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, the other term that they will use is abrogated, which would mean uh, sort of it's kind of, kind of the analogy they would use, like, well, when, uh, you know, iPhone software 2.0 oh. comes out you don't keep using 1.0 you know or whatever it would be or uh you know if this new new thing comes out that kind of yeah. it uh supersedes now it, it makes the rest of this thing sort of outdated invalid no longer relevant mm-hmm. and so that's what they would say well now the quran has come and it's kind of like the ultimate revelation and so those other books are no, no longer necessary mm-hmm. uh, so those are the two views that we were often dealing with and how, and how did you deal with them? Some, some of it was just, you know, thinking about God and thinking about his character. Like, would God say something? Is God so limited that he would say something? And then a thousand years later, yeah, that wasn't, that's no that's longer valid. Uh-huh. You know, kind of uh, the, the, obviously there's scripture, you know, the word of the Lord will stand forever. Mm-hmm. And kind of looking at that of, you know, God, and then even Jesus saying that, you know, um, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And, and uh, so looking at those kinds of things, here's where there would be some divergence in how some people would think this is okay or not okay. Often, I would, as I would talk to them, they would keep saying, well, you know, the Quran is my authority, the Quran is my authority. So I would often try to transition that by saying, okay, you're saying the Quran is your authority. Are you aware that the Quran even encourages you to read these books? And you know, I'm I was I knew the I've forgotten now. Goodness, it's been a while since I've had those kind of conversations. But maybe even tell them where it says that. 
you know, that that's an approach. I think some people, any sort of referencing of the Quran, they'd feel uncomfortable with, but I, I feel like if it's done very carefully where we don't mm-hmm. necessarily give credence or authority to it, you know, in that case, I'm just saying, okay, clearly you're telling me this is what your authority is. Do you know that even your authority is it encouraging says, yeah. you to read these books? Uh-huh. And so those are a couple of the things that I would do. I think even reading, there's some, some uh, parables and some things that Jesus talked about that are intriguing or can, can be bridge building. Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked to, to share with people the uh, story of the, the tax collector and the Pharisee, you know, that both go to the temple and do mm-hmm. pray. And, and we've got this very self-righteous Pharisee and this tax collector who says, you know, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Uh, that was always, you know, they, they, that challenged their thinking a little bit because they would never have thought just like maybe Jews at the time would never have thought mm-hmm. that, the tax collector would be the one, um, but that who went away justified mm-hmm. and, and before the Lord, uh, they, that was challenging. The, the prodigal son story was also challenging that it kind of helped bring about this whole idea of grace. You could begin to talk about that. Why would, you know, why would this father still embrace the son, that kind of thing. There was the the story of the rich man and Lazarus. You know, Lazarus is poor beggar, then die. Both of them die, and so you know there was kind of this chasm between them. Just it kind of helped talk about um, some of the some of the dialogues that uh, the rich man has of like, can you go tell my family things like that. Uh, well, they've, I've sent the prophets, I've sent, you know, these, these things to help them see, just spark some good conversations of here's, you know, God send his prophets, he's got his word here for us to read, so that we can know, we can know the path to take. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, seeing those things in the scripture, I think would add some, at least interest, if not, uh, you know, mm-hmm. being authoritative for them, kind of intrigued a little bit. Get them to read the Bible and let God speak to them through that. And begin mm-hmm. to see what about the what about the challenge that it's because that kind of deals with the abrogation. I feel like more like our, the supersedence. What about the like? Oh, it's been changed. Like I can't trust it because it's been changed. Mm-hmm. How did you deal with that, or was it the same? Some similar things, but I think again, uh, looking at so that you're you're telling me again, your authority is. Um, the Quran, and we, as we are said earlier, the Quran is telling you to read these things. Uh, you know, if if this has been changed, why would that be the case? You know, why would that? That seems sort of a contradiction here. If you're saying that your faith tells you these have been changed, and your faith also tells you you should read them, there's a little bit of dissonance there. Uh, I, I think just there, there's there's real vague kind of when did this happen? What's the history? Some people might have a vague story. But even one of the nice things about the Bible translation that we were working with in the back of it, they had, because they knew this was an issue, they had some of these old manuscripts in Greek uh, that you could look at and some of the old original, even in some Turkic languages that were translated that go back, you know, a long time and just kind of building some of that. There's continuity here. This isn't, we didn't translate this off something that someone wrote, you know, excuse me, a few hundred years ago, this, this goes back, we're basing this on ancient texts and we can see that there's continuity here. So, Mm -hmm. you know, how persuasive that was, 
it, it varied widely. I think a lot of people were just like, uh, you know, they're not thinking about ancient uh-huh. texts and things like that. They're just thinking, <clears throat> what did my friend tell me? And I yeah. trust my friend. So, uh-huh. um, some, plan. some value, but, but you're not going to, I think logic yeah. is probably not the ultimate answer in these things, uh-huh. but maybe it starts them on the path. Um, so this kind of leads into something that's a little bit prickly. Uh, you've mentioned it two times. How much do you use the Quran? Um, how familiar are you with the Quran? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, this is probably worth some clarification because I know there's very strong feelings about this. And some of it is we, there are people out there who are, are highly dependent on the Quran. And in fact, they're, they're starting in the Quran and that's, that's primarily what they're using to work with Muslims. Mm-hmm. And when you, you know, say they're starting it, with the Quran, what, what do you mean by that? What does that look well, like? Well, there, there's just a, okay, yeah, let's you and I, let's start, why don't you and I get together and we'll start studying the Quran together, looking at it. Um, mm-hmm. Here's some things in the Quran that, that talk about Jesus. I think that's, it's hard to make a sweeping evaluation of that because it kind of depends on how you do that. I, I think you have to be very careful not to affirm authority in the Quran. Mm-hmm. Um, because then later it's going to get tricky if, if you yeah. have now, now you have all these books in the mix and they're all authoritative <laughs> and you're trying to walk with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> however, I, I think there's ways that can be done that are um, helpful. Uh, mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, James. Um, and can build some of those bridges. Um, you just have to be clear in how you're articulating it. And as you heard earlier, my statement I would often make is you're saying that you believe in this book or this is authoritative for you. Okay, here, let me just, here's some food for thought for you. So I would not primarily approach guys like, hey, let's get together and study the Quran. Mm-hmm. But as we talked, I would, could sometimes, you know, just we get some sort of impasse on these things. Uh, I was not afraid to reference it. So I had mm-hmm. some some references I knew yeah. and you- would... Have you actually read the Quran? Not cover to cover, but but mm-hmm. portions of it. Of it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you kind of had their, your, you had some key key places. I don't know if they call them verses, or but you had some key mm-hmm. verses, places that like yeah. were good bridges, essentially, if you want to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of get people sort of getting getting them thinking a little bit, like um, these uh, references, like Jesus being uh, the Messiah, you know, what is that about? Um, and uh, again, reading, there's multiple references about reading the mm-hmm. New Testament, Old Testament, and even things that say, you know, my words will never change. My word can never be invalidated mm-hmm. that, you know, the, the word of God is, is uh, always it's mm-hmm. eternally valid. And so that kind of pushes back a little bit on this idea of abrogation. Mm-hmm. So I was more in my style. I wanted to get people into the word, into the, the Bible, mm-hmm. but uh, and, and fairly soon, I, I think there's, there's real power in that, but I was okay to reference those things to kind of challenge people's thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what... but I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't just across the board say anyone who's using the Quran or anyone who's not using the Quran is doing something wrong. I think there's mm-hmm. some diversity in there that's allowable. Yeah. How would you do like you take the, their, their scripture? about uh you know god's word can't be changed how does that play out in a muslim muslim believer a muslim background believer's life 
you know, like they, they are with the Quran, they begin to get interested in the word, they start studying it. Cause at some point in time, they have to decide the Quran is not authoritative. Do they just decide that that's not really God's word or do, like, how do they, how do they embrace that same scripture then or deal with that same scripture and reje- ultimately rejecting the Quran? Um, if I think, if I understand your question, I mean, you're building in, that's why I think you have to be careful that you're building into what you're saying of like, okay, I'm just, I'm going by what you're saying right now. So mm-hmm. that later on, there is a confusion of you've been affirming Affirming. the Quran. Mm -hmm. But I think, I think that is ultimately, you know, you have to have, what is our authority? So if you're leading someone to follow Jesus, they Mm -hmm. can't still continue to believe the Quran is authoritative. There's, there's enough in there that's uh, contradictory. That's going to be really hard to pull off. That eventually Um, you're going to have to choose one or the other. And do you find, do you find a problem in Muslim work with like syncretism between like we do in some other places, you know, where they they take animism and layer it on top of Catholicism, or 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 we we teach we teach Jesus and the Hindu just adds it to his pantheon of gods. Mm-hmm. You know, like do you have sure? That? Yeah, sure. You, there, there's uh, examples of that. There's also examples of uh, Christians who have sort of you know become very American or Western. So you get it on both sides. Um, Mm -hmm. we tend to react a little bit more to the syncretistic side. Um, Mm -hmm. but I think both, uh, have different in different ways are limiting, uh, you know, that believers ability to either connect with their culture or, uh, you know, in some cases to be real clear on their identity and their faith. Mm -hmm. Um, so what are like, what are some of the key elements that you got to talk through and go through? Mm -hmm. Well, you heard the first one, and that's the scriptures. That was always kind of a big thing. Because again, you can get to this point where it's, here's what I think, here's what you think, and we're kind of mm-hmm. at this impasse. Mm-hmm. And so I would li- I tried to really establish, let's talk about the scriptures. What is, are they authoritative? Because you want that to be ultimately what's speaking and not just my opinion versus your opinion mm-hmm. or my culture versus your culture even. Mm-hmm. So that I would, I would spend not a small amount of time dealing with that. Um, I think then uh, there are some common views that they'll probably bring up, uh, mm-hmm. but if they don't, you know, they, there's some things I could, I always knew with our people group, there's probably five or six things that they already think that you've got to talk about. The big one is this term son of God, which they found very offensive. And I've, I've already talked you know, at length about that in other podcasts, but helping them. One is you just want to debunk this idea that we somehow believe that Mary and God, you know, had some relationship and that they had a biological son. We obviously don't believe that. So I think that's something that we could just debunk right off the bat. We don't think that, um, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, the, this is a biblical term, so I don't think we can also just get rid of it or ignore it. So Mm -hmm. explaining it carefully, and it's a challenging one to explain, Mm -hmm. uh, why is this familial language used? Um, and so, you know, I don't know that I knocked it out of the park because this is in another language, but trying to help kind of understand that there's a a way spiritually that God, the father, Jesus, the son, that, you know, their relationship is like a father and a son. There's a, you know, a a dependence that Jesus shows here, um, so on and so forth. So just helping them understand this is a a term that's related in a spiritual relationship between God and 
Jesus, not a biological one. Mm-hmm. Probably even more tricky is the whole uh, how many gods do you guys believe in? <laughs> the whole issue of Trinity. Are we sort of polytheists? Is Mar- do we think Mary's a god? Do we think Jesus is a god? How many gods are there? Do we think there's three gods? And this is, I think, this is a challenging one to deal with because it's hard to articulate the, the Trinity in English. Yeah, uh, there's some things about that, that are still mysterious to me in my own language. Uh, let alone trying to do that in another language. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so, uh, you know, I think there's a couple of things, some, and you can debunk a few things of like, we don't think Mary's the God and, and mm-hmm. things like that. And I think you can affirm that we believe in one God, you know, the scripture's mm-hmm. clear and there's scriptures you can look at that say, right. we believe in one God. Uh, mm-hmm. I think beyond that, you know, I would just, uh, one, this probably wasn't something I would come right out of the gate with. Let's let's get into a deep talk about the Trinity. Um, but I think you, you know, as you progress, you can't avoid this conversation. There's got to be some understanding of who Jesus is, his identity. You can't just say, well, he's a, he's the Messiah. You know, mm-hmm. there's got to be more than more elements added to that. Obviously, he is the Messiah, but um, he's God as well, and that that's pretty significant in his ability to provide. Uh, that substitutionary sacrifice and, and die for our sins, that that part of his identity. So I don't think we can avoid that or um, just, well, once once they're a believer and, you know, somewhere in discipleship, maybe we'll deal with that. I, you know, I, I think gotta, we've gotta got to, mm-hmm. you've got to deal with that at some point as you're leading them towards Christ and, and faith. Um, now, that doesn't mean that they may fully grasp the Trinity and could uh, still become a believer. I, I think looking back on my own faith, over time, I've kind of come to an understanding about that, but I don't think I've, you know, I fully understood it when I accepted Christ. So beyond that, I would just kind of look at scriptures, look at things that say, that show Jesus, you know, is clearly being portrayed as God. Uh, and then just say, you know, we do believe in one God, but uh, there's, it, this God is in three persons and, and kind of, and here we have this Holy Spirit. Uh, and that that's a part of, of this, this Trinity of God. So, you know, at some point, I think you, you get into that, you do your best and you show some scriptures and you're okay with saying, this is a hard to understand. There's some mystery mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but uh, you know, you've, you've got to work with that. Some, um, I think sin is another big thing. You've got to begin to work with them on, talk with them about um, most of the conversations I've had with Muslims. There's a kind of an idea that, uh, sin is only something really bad. You know, you commit murder, you mm-hmm. rob somebody's store, something really bad. I think the the idea, you, you particularly you look at uh, the Sermon on the Mount, some of these things like looking at a woman lustfully is sin or uh, speaking a harsh word or something like that. That's pretty challenging to their idea. And so just kind of talking those things through and help seeing what their view of, do you believe you're even a sinner? Cause some guys will tell me, no, I, you know, I've never, <laughs> haven't murdered, haven't committed adultery, uh-huh. Uh-huh. haven't done any, anything real bad. So I'm not a sinner. And uh-huh. so then maybe you have to deal with that of kind of helping them see, well, the Bible says that we're all sinners and there's a sin in all of our lives. It may be big, it may be small, mm-hmm. um, but a real kind of crossroads issue is this whole idea of, Rather than if you do enough good stuff versus bad stuff, you get into heaven. This idea of none of us can earn our way to heaven, but we need this, this sacrificial mm-hmm. uh, atonement that Jesus provides. 
Mm-hmm. That that is a real kind of crux of these conversations. Mm-hmm. And there was one analogy that I would use. Um, it's hard for me to evaluate how effective it was, but it certainly got people thinking. Mm-hmm. They have built into their thinking this idea of uh, dietary restrictions. So you don't eat pork. Mm-hmm. You don't eat uh, there's other types of meats that you wouldn't eat. Uh, donkey, for example, <laughs> that was, you know, they had donkeys there, but you couldn't eat them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, if there was always this kind of worry or concern that maybe, you know, if the cook wasn't trustworthy, they'd sl- uh, there'd be some meat in there. There'd be some little, little, piece, little piece of something in there that was not allowable, was not halal. Mm-hmm. And so I'd say, you know, if, if I gave you a bowl of whatever food and I put a whole bunch of pork or a whole bunch of, uh, you know, aram, not, not halal food in there, would you eat it? Of course, I'd say no. Well, instead of a lot, if I just put a tiny little piece in there, kind of snuck it in, would you still eat it? And of course, they would say no as well. And I would say, you know, sin, sin is like that. Yes, there may be some people who've done more sin, or you know, they're maybe seen as a sinner. There may be some people who are seen as more upright, but they've all they've at least done a little bit of yeah. sinning. Um, mm-hmm. And in both cases, they're you know, just like that food is unclean in your view. Uh, mm-hmm. Before God, we're also unclean, little or a lot of sin. And so we're all in need of, um, of you know, we can't earn our way because of that sin. We're all in need of the sacrifice that Christ has provided. Mm-hmm. So that was one kind of bridging element. Um, so the issue of sin, uh, Jesus' identity, I think just looking at the stories, kind of walking through, even just to say this concept of uh, the sacrifice was a concept that they certainly understood and in, in sacrificing sheep at certain holidays and things. So there was a little bit of a bridge there, but the idea that this other person dying could somehow, you know, atone for your sins, that's a pretty big step for them. So that took a lot of work and reading some stories and Jesus's life and things Mm -hmm. like that. Um, Mm -hmm. This idea of needing to be reconciled to God was pretty Mm -hmm. foreign to them. Um, So these were all the things I'd work through. I typically did not try to go for a home run right off, you know, in one conversation Mm -hmm. to hit it all in one conversation or use a resource. You know, there were sort of these videos that were like, explain the whole gospel in five minutes Mm -hmm. to your your friend. And Mm -hmm. I'm not against those. I think probably how I would use those is once I've kind of dealt with each of these concepts, here's something that puts it all together. But Mm -hmm. to just start with that, it was so much new ideas that to to comprehend it all it was just too much it was like spiritual fire hydrant you know trying to drink from it so yeah. i would kind of deal with these maybe one conversation at a time this conversation we're talking about sin what is sin do you have sin you know those kind of things this conversation we're talking about the scriptures this conversation we're talking about the identity of jesus and and so on and so forth yeah yeah um i heard an analogy once you know as americans we want we want fast conversions um but the analogy was kind of like you, but you don't want a premature baby, you know, and some of these things, it just takes time to grow. And while I'd love it, if they believed day one, I feel like that's very unlikely short of God. I mean, nothing's impossible with God, but short of God, like already working in that, like, and that person's life, you know, and they've already had dreams and, you know, like they've been looking for a, for a tall, tall man with dark hair and, you know, whatever. And you're like, ah, you know, I like to like really prepare right. that way. But otherwise, like, you know, it takes like even if we look in our own lives about like something non-spiritual, but just something we believe. Um, 
it takes a lot of a lot of time and and maybe unusual circumstances for us to to change what we believe about something that's kind of core to our identity. Um, I'm trying to think of a good example of that. Uh, I kind of had a funny one last night with uh, with a friend that had, had been overseas. The one I told you about earlier, listener, you can wonder who that was. Um, but he was saying, "You remember the first time we met? You said this really funny thing, uh, really really strong opinions." Like, well, like I have no idea what it was, but it was about blue healers. I think blue healers are like the worst cattle dog ever, and it would take it would take. I can tell you're from New New Mexico. New Mexico. I grew up on a ranch. Exactly. I don't know if this translates to the to uh, our listener, but like it would take a lot to ever convince me to get a blue heather because I think they're worthless cattle dogs. They're going to chase chase cattle through fence. Blah 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 blah. My dad was always that way. Grew up that way, and eventually there came a point in time where we did get we did get cattle dogs. They weren't blue heathers, you know. But but like. Even that was a big change. They're like, oh, a dog could be useful. Um, and they're not worthless things that run, you know, just run amok. You know, I, it's probably a horrible analogy, Brad, um, unless you're everyone in <laughs> Everyone in New Mexico feels very affirmed by that analogy, James. That's so right. They, they, you're That's doing right. good in that, in that the yeah. Uh, rancher crowd. Yeah. Um, My point just being, it takes a lot to change our opinions. And so then you want to talk about, about the very core, core essence of my spirituality or this, this Muslim spirituality. Um, yeah, it, it takes, it's a miracle. I, I think mm-hmm. we can't see it in any other way that, that someone coming to faith in Christ, there's, there's a miracle, there's a supernatural thing that's happened, maybe a miracle, uh, you know, take, take that if you like, but, um, there's a supernatural thing that God has done in their life. And, uh, I, I think it is appropriate to call it a miracle, but, um, so that, that really puts the next element in that we haven't even talked about. And that's you, you're praying for them. You're praying, you're praying because God has to open eyes. Yes. Mm-hmm. We co-labor with God in this process. It's not like we just sit around and God will, you know, I'll just, I'll just, God will take care of it. I'm not going to take any initiative. Uh, we're co-laboring with God, but he's got to open eyes. And so you're asking for um, change in heart. You're asking for these things to make sense to someone um, you're, you're asking for sure dreams and visions. I think that's appropriate to pray for, uh, if God wants to go that route. So there's, there's lots of things you're, you're praying about and you're also loving them and you're, you know, you're investing relationally. All these things are happening at once. Sometimes we try to create this dichotomy of, you know, well, we just need to get out and share the gospel. What's with all this friendship stuff, or we've got to become best buds before we even talk about these things. I think that's the, we're creating a false dichotomy there. You, relationship and proclamation of the gospel, I think go best hand in hand. So we do those together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Not a secret Christian. What about the identity of Jesus? Cause that's pretty core. Um, who does, who do they think he is? And maybe we need to have a whole nother podcast. We probably do on just what Muslims believe. Um, speaking of stereotypes on last episode, we don't, we, we have a, <laughs> Um, what do they what do they believe about Jesus? How do we deal with the identity? They would consider him one in a long line of prophets, you know, so you've got all the it really any biblical character they would probably use the term prophet for, even someone that we may not say, you know, we might not say David exactly mm-hmm. as a prophet. We would maybe say King David, but all of those people, they're they're prophets, uh, you know. 
yeah, even Adam, that, that same mm. uh, honorific is often used. So all the way down through, you know, Moses and, and some, some people would be very knowledgeable of all these different prophets names. Some people maybe just kind of know the, the highlights um, of a, of a few of them, but they would certainly know Jesus as one of them. And so, uh, and then with Muhammad being the, the final mm-hmm. and most authoritative in that sense. Um, but it's interesting. There are a couple things people may or may not know them, but that exist in, in Islam that um, have some, maybe could be bridge builders. One that their view that in the, at the end times, you know, and there's, there's sort of mm-hmm. a Jesus returning uh, Jesus mm-hmm. coming back and him having some role in that sort of end times mm-hmm. scenario that's significant, which we would obviously also believe now they don't, you know, have a fully formed mm-hmm. uh, biblical theology of that, but that that's kind of an interesting part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you do have, as we talked about earlier, uh, terms like Messiah and things like that used in the Quran. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, they, they, he's kind of one of many, uh, so he's creating that unique sort of savior identity as a part of the, the process mm-hmm. of sharing, I think. Yeah. What, what are a couple things you, you do to do that? Look at the word would be one of them. Uh, look at stories, things that he was doing that, you know, not just any old prophet was doing, um, yeah. you know, the, some of these sort of examples of his power, his, the way he talks about uh, forgiving sins. You know, we've got some great, uh, the, the man who's lowered through the roof, the paralytic that's lowered through the roof. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And, and the the religious leaders are like, what, you know, only God can forgive sins. And there's kind of that whole interaction that's very interesting. So I, I think that just looking at those kind of things um, are probably the best way I can think of. Yeah. Um, this kind of question goes more into maybe the confrontative versus or direct versus bridge building. What do you do? How do you deal with their, the, the identity of Muhammad? Mm -hmm. Uh, It's, it's very sensitive because, you know, if you come right out of the gates, uh, I certainly don't recommend though. I see a lot of these kind of Muslim apologetic apologetics that have helped Muslims, so to speak that, you know, go with this. Well, he was a pedophile. Well, he was, you know, this and that. And um, honestly, I, to, to me, I would just say, um, well, there's, here's an interesting kind of technique I would use sometimes. There's a, a, a passage in the Quran that says, it's Muhammad speaking. He says, I'm just someone who warned people of, you know, about doing bad things. I was a warner. And I said, well, you know, you've, you said that the, the Quran is your uh, authoritative book here. Here it says he's just someone that warned people. So he told people, don't do this. This is bad. Don't do that. Okay. But Jesus, you know, here we have this, this one who he can, this person who can forgive sins and who has this, this title of Messiah. Now that's something. So I wouldn't try to be real derogatory. I think that that would really close things down, but I, I certainly wouldn't say he's one of the, one of the prophets or something like that. I think again, lay down the road, you're going to get in trouble because now you're going to have to back that up and, yeah. Um, so, yeah. And as Muslims come to faith, do they, t- is, is the identity of Muhammad a big issue or is that something they kind of lay aside or, you know, it goes from one where like, you know, a cartoonist in, in Europe draws a, uh, 
belittling, belittling picture of uh, Muhammad and he gets, you know, they blow the building up or he gets killed to like, he's not that important or like, is that, is that laying aside a hard thing in their coming to faith or is it? Sure. I mean, it's like any of those things, views of the Quran, views of Muhammad. Um, these are they deeply held parts of their religious and cultural identity. I mean, I think those, it's hard to separate those two. So um, it, it, it takes a big step to then say he's mm -hmm. no longer an authoritative person in my life. His words are not authoritative. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like once, and then we, we're, we're over our time this episode, we'll cut it off. But do you think once they become a believer, are they able to speak more directly about these things as they share with their family and friends? Uh, I think they have the same challenges, even more so, though. I think for them mm -hmm. to to uh, use that direct approach of like, you know, this is the Quran is a lie, you know, Muhammad, no way kind of approach. It's even more it, it wounds a little more deeply or it's a little more even more offensive because they would expect someone like me who's a Westerner and a Christian to not believe in these things. So there, you know, there might be a little bit of an argument, but boy it would be a real um, tense thing for them to say something like that. So they have to find their own way. Um, some, I think there's a little, some Muslim background believers, there's a little more pulling away uh, because they feel like there's no way to bridge or reconcile, or sometimes they're sent away, kicked, kicked mm -hmm. out, you know, mm -hmm. in that sense. Others are maybe trying to slowly within their relational circle, family circles, you know, Food, here's some food for thought, you know, here's some, hey, have you ever read the Injil, the Bible, and and mm -hmm. kind of doing it that way. So it's it's mm -hmm. it's very hard. I mean, yeah. we we face challenges, you know, if you grew up in a family where you were the only believer here in America, that's challenging, but it's a whole other level of challenge, I think, for a lot of these Muslim background believers. Yeah, I think that's a good place uh, to call it quits for the day. One of the things I would like to discuss with you a little bit more in this uh, series on Muslims is what the cost is of following Jesus to them. I'd like to flesh that mm -hmm. out some. And I really think we, we need to flesh out a little bit of, of what Muslims really believe. Um, so listeners, you can look forward to joining us uh, on that on that time uh, coming up soon. Um, in terms of things you can be praying for us by the time this episode comes out, uh, we're probably going to be getting pretty close to our orientation week, which is our big training for our students. Uh, so if you'll be praying for that, uh, that would be really a wonderful thing for us. Um, Brad, anything else you want to throw in? Nope. Yeah, please be praying for us. Uh, many of our students, almost all, in fact, are going to work with Muslims again this year. So be praying for them and uh, we'll continue talking about these things. Hopefully these the conversations we're having are not only encouraging you to reach out to your Muslim friends, but also to be prayerful in thinking about them. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, guys. See you next time.